Hi, this is Ashley Farode, and you're listening to People Stories, the podcast about the people behind the professions. This, in fact, is my very first podcast, so I'm very excited to be sharing my conversation with you that I've had with Michael Liu. Michael Liu is a musician, a DJ, a bartender, a fashionista, and a cultural champion, amongst many, many other things. So how does he juggle all these things? Well, you're about to find out. This podcast has been made possible thanks to Mercedes-Benz in Canberra, a team at Fishwick who have been very supportive of this project. So I hope you enjoy the very first podcast of People's Stories. Michael Liu. Yes. Welcome to the very first ever People's Stories. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope it's just as much of a special occasion for you as it is for me. But we'll see. You're taking a sip of the uh, whiskey there, I can see, just to get in the mood. Absolutely. A little <laughs> bit of a, a liquid, um, or just liquid, really. Just, just liquid, that's what <laughs> yeah. you need, yes. Maybe I shouldn't be telling people that you're having whiskey. They might be listening to this in the morning and it might seem a little bit odd, but hey. It makes me think about the first time that uh, you did Home Stories with me. Mm. And, and a good chunk of that article is about how strong the gin and tonic was <laughs> that I gave you. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was mostly gin with a touch of tonic. Yeah, it was a good time. So, um, just the listeners, we'll probably want to know who you are. Not everybody, despite you being quite a celebrity in Canberra, might know who you are. So do you want to kind of just quickly introduce yourself and what it is that you think you do? <laughs> uh, that actually makes me think of a t-shirt that I saw in Braddon yesterday, which says, I'm big in Canberra. I don't know if that's a, <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or, a, or an insult. Uh, so what do I do? Uh, my name is Michael Liu. I am the head of communications for the placemaking and cultural development organization Dionysus mm-hmm. um, and on the side I'm also a musician and DJ so I'm a violinist and then I'm also uh, let's say quite a, quite a quite a diverse DJ but but known for my so fresh cheese yeah of course yeah and and the cultural agency uh, the placemaking and so forth can you talk about just for those who might not know what the agency does what are the kind of things they might be familiar with as far as Canberra goes yeah so yeah so the word is placemaking and placemaking is about um, activating public spaces through meaningful programming um, and actually creating um, meaningful connections between people and places you know. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I mean, most of the things that you do are in Canberra, is that right? Yeah, pretty much all in Canberra. Um, and I think New Acton's a really good example. We're yep. based in New Acton and we do all the cultural programming for New Acton. So everything from spontaneous jazz concerts to slam poetry to very cute kids cushion concerts in the Grand Stair to our weekly wine market. Uh, it's all about activating those public spaces and doing it in the public mm. realm um, so that that... <laughs> We might, we might have to tell everybody here, there's two doggies running around who are very, very, very excited. My dog, who's probably more of a celebrity than I am. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very true. Which is not hard. Uh, Frida, uh, very cute cavoodle. And yours? It's, it's Peppy. So they're actually both roughly about the same age. Yeah, that's right. Uh, boy and girl. So they're having a, a date and a, and a play right now. And it's, it's pretty incredible. So if you hear a lot of that rustling and, and panting, it's not Michael and I. Yeah. It's, it's the dogs, I promise. Um, but yeah, just going back quickly, so I think people would probably recognize things like Art Not Apart. Yeah. I mean, that was quite an institution and still is. Um, there's a lot of events that you do in Civic in terms of activating uh, yeah, Park. Right. So I we're remember. the city place manager. Um, so Lavana, one of our colleagues, um, is the city place manager and she's tasked with keeping the city cool. And that's yeah. we're talking about the Canberra CBD in particular and that's sort of Braddon all the way down to where the lake is. Um, that's everything from bringing in some um, some greenery and putting in great cultural events in Greenwood Place um, to putting the park benches through Braddon so that there are places for people to actually stop and just enjoy the, a busy sidewalk, you know, yeah. without it's not, it's the places in between destinations that we're looking at, you know, yeah. um, activating. So, I mean, it's interesting that the way that I tend to think of the agency that you work for, and I think this is what probably people will find quite interesting too, is you kind of, Working between various spaces, one is almost like the art scene, yep. and, and you definitely work with a lot of artists, and you have a lot of artists working with you on a lot of these engagements and, and, and events, 
The other side of it is this kind of social space that you talk about where you're about bringing communities and people together and kind of active, activating spaces and bringing them to life. And you said cool before and kind of having that element. Um, another part of it is, I guess, maybe the, the festival end, the entertainment component. Yep. Um, and somewhere between all of that, plus probably a lot of other things thrown in is, is where you're at. Um, so I'm presuming, am I right to say that what you do is, is obviously in the creative cultural space? Yeah, I guess so. So we call it cultural development, and that's about developing a unique cultural identity for Canberra. Mm. You know, um, uh, A lot of it is about not replicating things that happen elsewhere, but actually creating a cultural landscape for ourselves um, that is uniquely Canberran. Um, I guess a lot of people that work in placemaking, it's... They come from a design background, yeah. Uh, you know, landscape architects, architects, town planning, urban planners. Uh, whereas uh, Dave and myself, Dave Caffrey, who's the founder of Dionysus, and mm-hmm. um, it's also happens to be one of my best mates. Um, we, Dave's from a philosophy background. I'm from a, a musician slash marketing background, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so we come from a, from a very different angle, and I think that's what it's, what sort of gives us that. Uh, not a unique edge, but that that's what sets us out from everybody else. Yeah. Um, so we we really care about the cultural programming. Um, and though we might not be design experts, we are innately very tapped into how people move through a space, how people move through a festival, um, you know, the positioning of the stage to where the audience is and just all those little things yeah. um, that perhaps... Um, people that come from design background and approach placemaking might not think about. If I mean, I don't mean this as a competitive question, um, but is there anything or anyone or any organisation in Canberra that's doing more or less the same thing that you are? Because um, to me, it, some, it seems quite unique. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I guess so. I guess we've positioned ourselves in a unique place. I mean, there's lots of fantastic event management of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, companies in Canberra. Um, you know, Damsel and Sprout, and you've got Show Pony, and um, there's plenty of great urban planners and town planning people. Mm. Um, but people that particularly do what we do, probably not, I would say. Okay. Um, more cultural development led and based placemaking. Yeah. Do you love what you do? I absolutely love what I do. Yeah. I mean, I. What's the old adage? You know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your yeah. life, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not a chore, though it, th- though it can be really hectic and stressful and sometimes we don't leave the office um, until 4am because the festival's the next day. It's still so enjoyable because um, a lot of the time in the events landscape, you know, you work for six months so hard and then it, it's just this explosion of one big um, event. And for me, that's really re- rewarding, I think, um, seeing... You know, I'm happy to work on something for a very long time, but the actual enjoyment of it is so short, Mm. um, but the impact is so lasting and so long because it affects the community in such a um, powerful way. Um, So, yeah, I absolutely love what I do. And and the reason I'm asking that question is... uh, Maybe I'll go back a little bit. When you you and I first met, it was when uh, I was looking for somebody to play along with. This is yep. my DJ sets, required an instrumentalist. Uh, I think somebody recommended you. I looked you up. You had a particular flair about you. And yeah. I thought, yeah, this could be kind of cool. Yeah, because- Trinity Bar? Yeah. Is that the yeah, first one? I yeah, know. Trinity Bar. And, and the interesting thing is... You know, there wasn't, well, there wasn't at that point at all anybody doing kind of a lot of live stuff with DJs, nor was there the situation where um, there was especially someone on violin doing it. In yeah. fact, I would hazard to say that violin wasn't actually cool at that point. In, in other words, people would think, oh, that's a classical instrument. Absolutely. How does that even work yeah, with? Yeah. with I think I, people, I still get that now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I tried to bring up playing violin at... Um, somewhere that I played the other day, and they're like, "Oh, violin in a in a pub." I was like, "No, no, trust me, this will work." Um, you know, so I was classically trained back in my hometown of Townsville, but pretty early on, oh, these dogs are having an absolute field day. <laughs> I know they're having a great time. Um, but pretty early on, I realised that I wanted to use the violin in a different way. 
um, in a really modern way. And that, at the end of the day, it's just a voice like any other. And, you know, the violin has always been something that people picture me with. And I'm absolutely okay with that because it's almost like an extension of my arm. Um, I There are purists, obviously, that are horrified when I'm not playing Bach, but instead I'm playing, you know... Taylor Swift to shake it off. But I think, you know, the violin is a absolutely universal and timeless instrument and why shouldn't we modernise it? Um, and it's a fantastic way, especially for when young kids see it. Mm. It really inspires them to pick it up. And, and it became quite the point of difference. And I mean, it, you and I started playing and we, we did a lot of gigs, you might remember, back at East Hotel at yep. some point. Yeah, kind of at became, the Ox Eatery. Yeah, that's it. And we became friends out of that. And I think what's interesting, though, is... And I'm kind of getting to something here. I, I think... Right from the start, I kind of figured you had a particular creative streak about you, right? And at that point, I didn't really know whether... I knew you were studying at ANU, but yep. I had no idea what it is. I presumed it was music. Um, and, you know, you kind of turned up and you would have these pocket squares in your blazer. And I remember yeah. thinking, this, guy, this guy's quite deaf. Maybe I should get some. <laughs> I did because I'm competitive. Started getting, you know, started getting yeah. those kind of <laughs> things as well. But where I'm going with this is the real big surprise to me at that point was when I asked you what you were doing after a you know, few months of us playing together. And you said, oh, I'm doing economics. Yep, that's right. And I was thinking, right, okay, well, that's, that's not what I was expecting you to yep. say. And then as we got to know each other, I asked you, so, you know, when you finish up, because at some point you said, you know, I've only got like some period, yep. like not six months or something. And I said, so when, when you finish up, you know, what's next? So getting a suit and going to an economics job. And you went, nah. No, definitely not. And then your answer at that point was, I'm thinking marketing. And so this is the thing I wanted to know. It almost seems like it, clearly before you even started studying, you had this creative streak in you, which ultimately led you down the path of doing what it is that you're doing now, which is creating creative things for the society around yeah. us, specifically Canberra. But that clearly wasn't the plan and that really wasn't, I would say, on the cards, at least in your own planning from the start. So how, at which point did you kind of think economics isn't for me I should do something else and start kind of following that calling, which ultimately took you to where you are now. Yeah, right. Well, I started with, I mean, I moved from Townsville to come here for ANU, um, also because I don't deal very very well with the heat. So I really like Canberra for its cold. Um, I started with economics law, that changed to just economics, then I changed to commerce. Um, and did you want to be an economist and a lawyer at that time? No, I don't know. I think I just wanted to get a business foundation, you know. I yeah. felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, but what... That really taught me was that what I wanted to do was um, still be in that space, still be in a, a business space, I suppose, but it had to be creative mm. because economics was just, it was, everything was quantified. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's absolutely no leeway whatsoever. And so, obviously, t taking a few marketing courses um, through the commerce degree, I found that marketing was such a perfect you know it's that bit between the two venn diagrams you know yeah. you know between um that corporate business world and creativity um and, and did you so you wouldn't now i mean in hindsight it's easy to, to make these kind of judgments but at the time when you finished economics were you thinking did i just waste however many years of study uh i guess not i mean a lot of the, like during uni i was pretty lucky to have um worked a stint in the press gallery and then I worked as a staffer for a senator. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of uh, a really diverse sort of professional um, experience at that point. And then, as you would know, I was starting to um, work on the first two years of FashFest. Um, so I was starting to do some event stuff as well. Yep. Um, so I don't feel like that time was ever wasted. If anything, if I hadn't gone through that process I would never have reached where I am now. Yeah. Right? Uh, you don't lose if you learn. Right? Yeah. So so if, if you if you had your way and you could modify the past, would you still take the same path or do you think you would have take, undertaken a different degree or a different way of approaching this? Um, oh, that's a really tough one. If I could, get, could have a couple of goes, I've, I've always thought that I would love to give music a shot especially at uni, because I never studied at uni. And the, so, and the, so more so than, than you've already given it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Um, to actually study it. Because I'm not, though I was trained, classically trained through school and I did um, some of my grades and I got my diploma, I never studied it at a tertiary level. And 
one of the main things, one of the main things that held me back was because there wasn't really a contemporary violin course that mm. I could step into. It was all classical based. Yeah. Um, and there weren't a, a, a great amount of, I mean, there were jazz violinists, but I just wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be the violinist that, you know, I don't know, the black eyed peas would call on stage. Mm. You know, I wanted to be that guy that just played all sorts of stuff. I mean, since that time, in this 10 years that I've been here in Canberra, you know, violin's a lot cooler now than it ever was. Mm. With people like Lindsay Sterling on YouTube um, and, you know, an absolute litany of people that play violin. Uh, Hip-hop violin on America's Got Talent and things like that. Um, It's gotten much cooler. Um, So it's not so much the black sheep of the instrument family, you know, because trumpet's always been cool. Sax is obviously, you know... The, the top of the pyramid. That's kind of okay. That's after after the eighties heydays. Yeah, it kind of dropped back. But then you you take the last ten years and it's been the sexiest. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> and it's come back. I mean, I think if you if you go to um, Kokomo's any Saturday, you will see yeah. a sax man standing up on the subwoofer, yeah. absolutely blowing um, a riot. Yeah, to the degree. That's very true. When there's a violinist in every pub doing the same, that'll be the day. Mm. So um, do, do, do you think, so just, just thinking of that, you know, because you were talking about the, maybe if you've had it, another go at it, you'd like to do that whole music yeah. thing almost full time. Yeah. Um, do you think, though, that if you did that and music became kind of the sole occupation, so to speak, the pressure of it being the breadwinner component of your life yeah. would maybe potentially take away from the enjoyment of it. And the fact that you're doing it the way you're doing it, where you do it as much or as little as you wish yeah. around, obviously, your work that, that you love anyway, yeah. is, is actually... Side hustle. That, that, yeah. That's, that's the word that I use, side hustle. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm interested by that because the reason why I didn't pursue music at uni was because, to be completely honest, I didn't want to have to practice six hours a day. Mm. Um that's what's real that's what really put me off but that's very much something that's connected to classical music uh, because you're 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 playing something that's already written down yeah whereas what i wanted to or still do now is improvising and it's all about honing your ability to adapt in the moment to whatever you're playing with um uh, and in the absence of finding a course which which sort of fit that i sort of just let it become my side passion if I swapped it, I mean, I was just talking the other day to a good friend of both of ours, Nick mm. Rigby, and he's like, well, he's a professional musician and sure. he gigs all around town and he still loves it. Yeah. Um, but it just depends what sort of violin work I would have found. If it was yeah. in the, you know, in the backseat of the um, Canberra Symphony Orchestra, I don't know if I could have kept up with them <laughs> discipline-wise, you know, yeah. practice, you know. Yeah. I mean, so- sometimes the choices that we make, I think, might be... <laughs> in some way disappointing and we think we've, we've done them because we couldn't achieve something else. Yeah. But actually, when we look at our lives and kind of put into perspective, we realise that the choices we made probably have been a bit more intelligent than we than we thought. Absolutely. I, just as a throwback, and you know, I don't want to make this about me, this obviously is about you, but I had this period in my life where I got to the stage where you know I was, I was headlining in the major club in Canberra, there was Sydney gigs coming up, the whole entire thing. I started producing my own stuff. And of course, while balancing a corporate career, and you represented Australia in New York. I did. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. yes. thanks. Yes. I used to look up to. Oh, so I still look up. I'm not used to. I still do, especially because you ha- you still hold on to this side hustle. You know, that's that's just the whiskey kicking it. I'm yeah. sure. Um, no, but it, it was one of these moments where I consciously had to think: Do I want to make this a full time thing? Yeah. And actually, what scared me off wasn't practice because in DJing there's, there's yeah. less of that it was the fact that I realized that perhaps the life of a full-time clubbing DJ would run short for me pretty quick and I think there would be a point where I thought you know what I'm going to get over this yeah. I'll, I'll get over the nights the flashing lights the massive crowds all the rest of it and then if that happens what am I going to be left with and that's the bit that made me make a decision you know what I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pursue music and DJing and all the rest of it as much as I possibly can, but within this kind of controlled environment so that I don't ever have to rely on it completely. And should the situation change that I don't fit what's required of a DJ or what have you, or yeah. I just don't enjoy it, I can drop it without, you know, kind of thinking my life has ended. Absolutely. But but it's I only kind of really realized that many, many years later that, that I've kind of worked that out. At that time, I thought... I was just being scared, and that's why I tried to make that decision. But it wasn't that. It was some bit yeah. of 
some bit of I don't know, intuition that said maybe this isn't this isn't a full time thing. And I think having any sort of creative pursuit as a side hustle, if you're not relying on it financially, you can take a break mm. and then absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, you can take six months off and then you can find that joy again when you, you know, have a hiatus. And that also, uh, to a certain degree, um, makes people miss you too, especially yeah. if you're a regular weekly club DJ. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in pretty lucky positions. No, we, we are. No, it's, it's very true. I didn't want my first podcast to be with somebody depressed about their career. Yeah. <laughs> Even though that would be an interesting point to take. Um, success. I want to ask you about this. This is an interesting point. Um, you know, quite often people talk about the success they have in their careers, um, or, or, or in the pursuits that they undertake. And it's interesting because if you think, you know, the, the first measure of success for most people is, is the, the money, essentially, whether, you know, you're doing, doing that part of it well. Enjoyment is the second part, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. realistically speaking, we all know there's different things to different people. Yeah. So how do you define success for yourself? Um, well, pretty early on, I sort of developed my own idea. Um, I'm going to be completely candid here. Sure. I developed my own idea that um, I, I wanted to pursue at least one of two things um, professionally, and that is either money mm. or uh, influence slash impact to do good. Yeah. Um, so I'm... Yeah, a bit of column A, a bit of column B, you know, mm. like, I, you know, I live comfortably, but also, like, I feel like the work that I do is really good. You know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're putting Canberra on the map and people enjoy our community events yeah. and we're creating something uh, for Canberra to be proud of. Um, success in the events world, which, which, which we're in, is very visceral and tangible, you know, yeah. because- you see when something works. Yeah, but you see yeah. when something works. You see fifteen thousand people at Art Nouveau Park, all smiling, enjoying a, yeah. a crazy explosion of art. Um, it's it can be somewhat harder when you're um, looking at the success of just you know, as you would know, like just a Facebook post or something. Yeah, or, you know, oh, I got hundred likes today. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I think. Because it's so easy to see the impact of the of the work that we do, um, you get an instant reward out yeah. of that success. I was just going to ask also. I mean, you for Canberra, let's just yep. put it into perspective. You know, your social network's quite strong, and what I mean by that is not really perhaps you know by the number of followers you have, but rather the way that people engage with you. Yeah, and I know that because. Um, I can see that you know you, you make posts, you make statements, and sometimes they're political, sometimes about art, sometimes just about you, sometimes it's about your new brooch, yeah, whatever yeah. it may be, right? But the actual engagement to your content is is quite high, which yeah. which I would probably put down to the fact that a people are in tune with what it is that you're about. Two, they probably think it's very authentic. Yeah, you're not really selling anything most of the time, um, and so is that that kind of social influence important to you? Um. I think so. I think anyone enjoys when people listen, when you have something to yeah. say. Um, and, you know, I don't, for example, Facebook, I'm really active on Facebook and I don't treat it as something, you know, it's not just somewhere for me to, you know, just brain fart about, yeah. you know, I actually do think about what I put out there and I want to use it as a force for good. You know, if mm -hmm. I have uh, a couple thousand followers of uh, friends on Facebook then I'm going to want to talk about stuff that matters to me mm. or even just, you know, or, you know, the, the, the lesser stuff, which is just posting something funny, but, but, but positive yeah. that just brings, you know, a smile to someone's day. Um, so that comes down to that influence. Yeah. So whether it's on your social network, so whether it's the influence that you have through your work and what you guys do, yeah, that seems to be quite the important driver. Um, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it almost seems like that's, almost taking over the, the money component. Yeah. I mean, of course, you want to be able to live well and so on, but it's not that's not the aspiration within all of this. You yeah. don't want to be the, the richest promoter, no. if, if you know what I mean, that, yeah. that aspect of it. It's not about that. It, I don't want to go back to, to one thing that you mentioned before, and that's the fact that you work with, with Dave, yeah. uh, Dave Caffrey. Um, I think maybe... Would it be fair to say that meeting him and become, getting to know him? Because I'm presuming, did he already have the agency when he employed you or did you guys start that up We together? just, so Dave had the idea of Dionysus 
Dionysus was actually supposed to be a club, a multi-disciplinary arts venue yep. that would host everything from parties to poetry slams to exhibitions. Um, and I think that almost happened, but then after his in-house work with Malongo Group as a um, as the events and cultural coordinator, that became this place-making organisation. Mm. Uh, but I met Dave... Ten years ago, I was a sprightly first year at ANU and I saw a poster about a party society called Univibes, uh, of which Dave founded. Um, and essentially, they were just a bunch of DJs that would play at the pub, yeah. uh, play at the ANU refect and um, just put on parties and put on house parties and things like that. <clears throat> and I sent him in my, you know, in my first year away, I sent him an email saying, hey, you've got a great society have you thought about incorporating live instruments? Yeah. And so we met at Teatro Valdes, um, <laughs> and we sat down, and I was like, "Hey, I've, like, have you thought about putting some instruments with the DJs? Because like, I play violin, and I love improvising, particularly with cool music, like you know." So you were hustling, like, in other words, like, like yeah, like <laughs> techno and house. And he's like, "No, I've never thought about that." And that was the end of it. Mm. From there, I think one of our first gigs was... Or rather, the beginning of it. That was the beginning of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been... uh, Dave would, for the first, you know, four or five years, um, when Art and Repub was just starting, he'd call me up and be like, all right, let's start a band. This is the idea that I've got. And um, the amount of costumes that I've been put in or the amount of bands that I've been thrust upon to lead, um, I couldn't even count. But that kept building and building and building until four or five years ago when he was moving away or moving out of being in-house at Mongo Group, starting Dionysus as a placemaking company, um, as a company of one for him at that time. Um, And he was like, hey, I'm looking for a marketing guy. And I think I just, I was just finishing up as marketing manager of Parler. Yeah. Parler and Elkin P. Of course. um, After doing a stint as manager of Knightsbridge. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So we should probably just interject here and say that one thing that people might not know about you is your bar work, yeah. which you did a lot of at, at, a, at a quite a professional level, I should say, yeah. as well. So that there was this other well, facet. Some, well, I don't know. Some people would probably well, uh, look, refute in that comparison, professional level. In yeah. comparison to me, <laughs> yeah, sure. not knowing how to you know pour this whiskey for you, um, you, no, you definitely were working at a professional yeah. level because you were getting paid for it yeah. and, and for a very long time and you were part of that culture yeah. and I knew that too. So th- there was also this, this definitely entertainment aspect that was definitely part of you. So there's another layer that kind of Yeah, absolutely. In. So after doing the stint at Press Gallery and being a staffer and then... Um, after all the Fash Fest stuff happened um, and I passed the reins over to you, I was looking for a new challenge. And um, my housemate at the time, Josh, was managing Nighty and they were like, we're looking for an assistant um, bar manager. And then I'd I'd never shaken a drink in my life. Um, Mm. But I, I, I sort of knew that part of why he brought me in was also because he wanted me to... Uh, Make his get drinks. Well, yeah, that, and also get an understanding of the music, yeah. and to try and sort of um, future-proof Nighty for wherever it was going. Yeah. Um, it turns out that that was heading towards so fresh parties and cheese, but um, that sort of made sure that we kept going until now. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I managed Knightsbridge, um, and I was the last and, manager. And when that under- finished up, that's when you essentially got the opportunity to work with Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. So I mean, what I'm interested in here is, um, see, if, if you look at your development, so to speak, if I can call it that. Yeah. So obviously you've got this, always had this music behind you. That there's always an entertainment component about you. You were definitely hustling to make that bigger. You, you obviously did economics and so forth, but it's the marketing that kind of was taking you. You know, then you're obviously proactively setting down foundations for for where you got to you know even with the with the fact of working at bars which is a very public social thing which teaches you not only how to react to people but what makes them tick at that level you know then ultimately seeking out dave and so forth a lot of what seemed like it was almost planned if not completely consciously right but i guess meeting dave might have been just a lucky fluke in many ways, right? Yeah, I guess so. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I would never have thought, I mean, if you'd told me when I sat down for a, I think I was drinking mockers at the time because I was only 18, when I met him at Favadis, that we'd be working together 10 years on, putting on Canberra's largest mm. contemporary arts festival or, you know, putting on um, 
big warehouse parties in Fishwick, I would have said or yeah. something that I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> well, you can. So, so then if you look backwards, how much do you think you shaped who you are right now and how much of it was essentially by chance? I think by... I, I really wanted to make sure that I had in my 20s, a real diversity of experience. Mm. I wanted to make sure that I, you know, I did a little stint in retail and selling suits and then I did the, the shaking the drinks and I did events and this and that. And I think I was just filling in my skill set yeah. so that whatever I ended up deciding that I wanted to do, which happens to be at this point, you know, marketing cultural events, mm. um, that I was prepared or at least that I had enough life experience in not just a depth but in a breadth of way that I actually yeah. had multiple skills from you know one-to-one chit-chat selling drinks um to being able to deal with um, a senator to you know a whole bunch of stuff um but as much as i planned that i also just got i mean i, I you know i think you just have to take every lucky break that comes your way and i, so, so, so and maybe, I bloody well did <laughs> well, this, this is one interesting because i think you know there's this these traits of, of, of many successful people by different definitions that they have is that they make opportunities or are ready for opportunities by having a wild field of interest. You know? yeah. um, and, and I mean, I, I think what we're talking about here is a pretty good example of that. Because I think what happens is a lot of us take on some pursuits that we might be interested in and we kind of go, well, am I wasting my time learning this? Yeah. And, and I, I guess maybe in a positive sense, I'd like to think that anything you take on, even if that doesn't end up being your ultimate goal or profession, adds to the skill set that ultimately Absolutely. might make you see an opportunity that you could take up. Yeah. Um, so even though you're saying that maybe it's a nice mix between you aiming for it and it kind of working out. Yeah, absolutely. Being think, ready for it is a key. And I think all skills are transferable. I mean, this this is a very um, left of field example, but you know, in design and stuff, they look to the animal world, right? So yeah. biomimicry, like looking at you know how ants nest and things like that. I feel the same way. Like I may not have had the biggest marketing experience, but from taking my experiences dealing with people one-on-one or DJing in front of a club of, you know, 200 or 300 or 400, I've used those skills and I've then transferred them into other applications. Um, and so I've never really looked at those individual um, quite specialized skills as um, in their own silo. I think you can use them in different ways. Yeah. Well, at least that's how I sold it. No, it's, I, no, I think that's exactly right. Um, if, if you could give yourself advice, in other words, if you, most of this kind of last 10 years or decade of, of your life has been where that, all that stuff shaped, if there's one bit of advice if you could go back in time and give yourself at that point to either do nothing, just keep yep. on going as you are, don't worry on the right path, keep yep. on doing all those different things because it's going to work out, or maybe a piece of advice that would have made that journey quicker, simpler, easier, whatever. Is there one particular moment where you would have gone, this is what I could tell you? Um, oh, That's a tough one. I guess it would have to be something around studying smarter. Mm. Um, now that I'm, you know, like I'm a, I'm a communicator like yourself and I'm really into it, you know, like I find myself reading journals, like I sit on, like I'm, I sit on the board of the IABC, which is this, you know, communications association and I find myself reading ad news today and things like that. And I really enjoy it. Like I really enjoy, um, getting better at that. Whereas when I was studying commerce, I felt like it was such a chore. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what it is, but learning to develop your skills smarter not harder you know mm. like not making it such a regimental um bogged down in in textbook sort of way so perhaps um yeah definitely studying and working and, and professional development in a smarter way perhaps through finding more creative ways to do it yeah um because i think I was looking around and everyone, no one else cared, no one else minded when they had to read, you know, half of a law textbook, but I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but maybe what I had to do was um, get Siri to read it out and listen to it as yeah. a podcast or, you know, find a different way. And I think looking back now, um, I really wish I could have told myself to 
explore other ways of getting the same information. Yeah, and that would have been helpful because it would have made it easier. You might have picked up more things along yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that that yeah, it's it's a really good point. Um, I want to ask about the sacrifice. Now, there might not be anything like this, yep. but is there anything that you had to sacrifice in order to get to where you currently are at? So, for example, let's just yep. to give you some context. Uh, I've got friends of mine who, you know, had to move to another city to follow the the career of their dreams, yep. and what they had to sacrifice in that is some of the friendships and the development that they had back here. Um, and even though they've kept it up, they've openly said, you know, if I was back here, I would have yep. th- those, those friends would be much stronger. It's just distance is, is difficult. Yep. Uh, some of them had to kind of sacrifice a particular lifestyle that Canberra is yep. relatively famous for in terms of being quite a lifestyle city. And none of them regret that. That's not what I'm getting at. But they're all conscious that there's a price yep. to some of the decisions. Uh, in their particular cases, they were definitely the right ones. But they're yep. quite open about that, you know. But do you, do, do you have any, any kind of thing like that? Um, nothing quite so major. Perhaps it's it's more in my character. I mean, I think a lot of people find that I sacrifice my time mm. a lot more than others would be willing to do. You know, like I, even though you, you classes work, I do enjoy it. But you know, I work a lot at Dionysus. I work a lot playing violin and DJing, and then just you know end up doing other stuff, whether it be working on an event or giving advice or sitting uh, on a podcast. For yeah, an hour. sitting on a podcast. You know, but. Um, you know, I guess it's all about framing. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't see it as a sacrifice. Um, I would much rather be here drinking a lovely whiskey than at <laughs> home folding my clothes. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> so, but you know, I, I tend to, I don't really have a weekend and you're probably the same, really. Yeah. Um, I don't, like I sacrifice a lot of free time, but. Um, but it's not a regret. I think this is what I, I kind of wanted to, to get to that. Sacrificing is, in in the sense of this, a conscious conscious decision that you make yeah. to have a particular lifestyle because something else means a lot to you. Yeah. And nothing comes without a price of some sort or another. It's just hopefully you can get the balance yeah. right. Um, but, you know, would, would you say you have the balance, I mean, in your stage of life? And if yeah. you don't mind me saying you're 28? 28, yeah. I don't think, I mean, like, I think that... Sac- sacrifice is the wrong word because it makes it sound like you're not gaining anything. Correct. It's more like a trade-off. It's an informed trade-off whereby, you know, I have thought about maybe I could stay in this Saturday night and, and get it, get more sleep. Yeah. But, you know, why? You know, but then at the end of the day, the net benefit of going out there and working harder and pushing my side hustle while I can um, – means more to me, you know? So, you know so I get so more you, out of it. I'm, I'm looking is, for that net benefit. Yeah, and you're happy with that, right? I, absolutely. That's, that's what absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't is, mean that it doesn't get stressful, mm. but at the end of the day, it's worth it Yeah. Um, because it's you know the, the outcomes are much more meaningful yeah. than had I got that extra hour of sleep. And, and how do you, speaking of stress, how do you manage it? How do you... Well, I'm, you know, I, I'm a full-blown extrovert. You know, the last person that I would want to spend time with is probably myself. <laughs> so, you know, like my own company is probably the most boring company that I could think of. Um, so <clears throat> I guess in a way I'm I'm just built to always be around people. So how do I deal with stress? I probably just hang out with my friends yeah. and, um, you know, they let me download on them or it's, or it's just about just hanging out and just having a good time. I think just being around other people really... Like this right now um, is helping me a lot to de-stress about all the work that I had to do today yeah. in the office. Um, that's not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the same with you, but you know, I think. I mean, I, th- I think that's the that's the perfect that's the difference between extroversion and introversion, right? Like extroverts recharge and gain their energy from being around other people, whereas mm-hmm. introverts need their own recharge time. Like it's draining yeah. to be around other people, even though even if it is enjoyable. Yeah. Um, See, so. I sit on a, I mean, without making this into a psychology uh, yeah. <laughs> a lesson, which, which, by the way, I did psychology at ANU. Yeah. You're going to send me the invoice after oh, I signed yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> just got to get the couch in here for you to lie down and tell me about yeah. your mother. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing is I, I sit on in between the extrovert and introvert, so I'm, I'm happy both ways. Yeah. I, I can add extrovert as I need to, but I also rethink a lot of situations yeah. and need kind of quiet time and all the rest of it. But just like you, I find... The way to relax is by being quite true to 
you know, the internal callings that I yeah. have. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, we're having this chat right now, I'm not thinking about a lot of the creative projects that I've got on at yeah. the moment. I probably will the moment we stop. But for me, this is this is a bit of space for me to get to know you. Yeah. And therefore, you know, I, I get to know a little bit about myself and, yeah. and kind of understand people. And, and that understanding is actually quite calming. Now that we've actually spent this time talking about this, one of the things that I've realized is that something that's really benefited me is... Um, self-awareness that I like for some people you know I know very well and I've thought about it a lot the fact that I am an extrovert you know and what is going to do best for me like you know like literally when I'm by myself I feel more tired I feel restless I don't feel like I'm getting the energy that I need Um, but I've also realized that over the last 10 years both professionally and personally I've spent a lot of time thinking about myself and trying to figure out my own you know learning strategies and how I actually digest information um, or the best ways that I engage or the best ways that people find me engaging so I think um, yeah do, do you think that's a life experience thing or do you think that's a product of, of getting a little bit older I think a lot of people just plot along without much self-awareness of how they um, about without knowing themselves as well mm. as they probably should. Uh, there probably shouldn't be anyone else that knows you better than you do. Mm. Um, at least in my instance where I'm, where I'm still trying to hustle and get ahead and things like that. Yeah. You know, the fact and that it, I know myself really well has helped that a lot. And I'm presuming you're probably finding, I mean, maybe you're right, I am a little bit older than you, and I kind of tend to find that being comfortable in your own skin is, is, is a great quality, not only for yourself, but also the people around you, because you're less likely to be judgmental. You're likely to provide support and advice. Yeah. You're a good sounding board for stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But the other side of it is, I think, once you've kind of attained understanding uh, to, to whatever degree that, that you're happy with, I think there's an interesting part of it that you then realize that you're constantly changing to. Um, going back to psychology for one quick second, a lot of a lot of people would be familiar with that 16 personalities test. Yep. You know that that, that Myers Briggs. Yeah. If I did that, oh, sorry, I did that test yep. 10 years ago. I did it five years ago, and I actually changed on the scale for one particular personality yeah, right. to to another one. And I know that it's not just because I answered incorrectly because I did that test five times then, five yeah, times this right. time, and I always keep on getting the same answer across those two yep. tests. It's just that I have evolved in, in the sense of changing as a human yeah. being based on the experiences that, that I have around me. Yeah. And I kind of weirdly actually quite like that. And I'm really interested to see what's going to happen to me and to yeah. you in, in 10 years' time. And if, you know, if we have this chat, you're going to be in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. And your sense of self-awareness will be a little bit different. Yeah. But I'm kind of hoping that you enjoy the process. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than being scared of that. And fact. I think it, like, it, it doesn't just, I mean, for things like Emily Taylor, I don't think it just measures character. It measures your personality skills as well. Yeah. And those things develop. And, and uh, you know, for everyone, they develop, like, especially, you know, just, just like we've talked about. You know, you learn different skills and that changes your pers- personality in different ways because you figure out what you like about yourself more and you figure out what you like around the world, you know, in the world more. Um, mm. So it's probably a good thing that, yeah. that, that it changes and that, that your results will change. On that topic, what is the one trait that you like about yourself the most? And this is not blowing one's trumpet. It's it's one thing that you're most comfortable with and you think this is a really good trait of mine. And when I see it and when you know, when I look at myself doing this, I'm actually quite happy with, with my um, approach. That I don't fear being passionate about something. Mm. I'm not scared to show um, that I that I love wearing my penis out badge or that I love <laughs> fans with the opera and lay miss or that I, you know, like I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, it's quite scary for some people, but it's something that's a real foundation of me. And that's, I unapologetically love what I love mm. and I love sharing that with people, you yeah. know? Um, um, I think that, if you're passionate about something, you should be able to share it. And no, people don't have to necessarily agree. Hmm. Um, and people can think it's absolutely lame. But, you know, what's great about that is that you have a passion. Hmm. Um, and I think that's, um, to me, that's something that's really meaningful and important. So on the flip side, what's what's a trade that you don't kind of like about yourself? Mm. It's like an interview, isn't it? I think I, I think I rely on my intuition a little bit too much sometimes, uh, particularly in a professional aspect. I, I jump to conclusions 
a lot quicker than I probably should. I don't analyze the options available. I use my gut feeling about certain things. Um, you know, I could probably take a more measured approach to what I think will work and not work. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but that, you know, I, I am a very strong person. I am a very intuition-based person, mm-hmm. you know, like, and luckily, fingers crossed, um, that's been pretty good so far. Um, but especially in things like marketing, mm. I could definitely look at, you know, the data a lot more yeah. and, it, you know, take more time to get to the outcome or get to the final product um, and actually assess more options. Mm. I think, you know, you're probably not alone in this, though. Uh, I think what happens, and this is a trade of busy people in the sense of people who try to achieve a lot, is that they rely on their judgment quite a fair bit yeah. because it's, it's a shortcut to making a decision, which in most part is based on experience, some kind of knowledge and yeah. ability to assess a situation quickly. But of course, it's not foolproof. No. The problem is that if you kind of go backwards and overdo the analyzation component you're not going to be true to intuition and there's been all these tests done about how the the intuitive kind of decision tends to actually be the correct one most of yeah. the time most of the time yeah that's right so maybe the trick is you know that if you get it wrong you have to be okay with that and actually move away from that problem yeah. or solve it very quickly yeah and perhaps it means that even if i have a gut feeling that then i then go and look for the data that supports that yeah you know because i, I don't do that so it's not just an opinion <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's that, that makes sense do you think the way that people perceive you, uh, at a not at a close friends, in other words, yep. people kind of in a more general life, yep. the way they perceive you is, is relatively true to who you are? Or do you think that there is a slight, I don't mean a negative sense misjudgment, but a kind of different take on, on who yeah, you Yeah, sure. Um, I think generally what you see is what you get. You know, pretty happy-go-lucky, pretty rambunctious, uh, passionate. I'll tell you that I, you know, that I want to get... You know, the Phantom's Mask tattooed as my first tattoo or um, I, it's probably the more quieter contemplative stuff, but I think that's the same for a lot of extroverted people Yeah, um, that people wouldn't think about, you know, um, that I do when I get a spare moment, you know, do have my own quiet reflection and and, and spend time ruminating on things. but in a lot of instances, when you do meet people or you, or you bump into someone, there's not the opportunity to, you know, to really download about that sort of stuff. Yeah, of you know, it's just, oh, what have you been doing? Or how are you going? Or what, what's, you know, how's home? How's social life? How's your love life? How's work? Oh, great. I'll catch you, you know, in, in six months when I bump into you, into you again. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. Like, I think generally what you see is what you get with me, but... Um, do you care? Do you care what people think of you and your opinion? Yeah, I have to say, absolutely. Yeah, um, and I think, I think that's okay. So it's not. So it's not that your your kind of passion and, and your drive and essentially extroversion is in any way kind of. I don't know if this is the right word, but like bullshit in the sense that you know someone says, "Well, I, I think that's stupid." You know, yeah. you don't like or whatever, and you talk over them. Yeah. So you've got a sensitive side. As yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely care what people think, and I'm I'm always happy to. to have a debate about something. So, um, so if an event, for example, yep. were to fail, I'm sure it hasn't, but yep. if it were, do you take it personally? Yeah. Or do you t- take it professionally and you're like, oh, well, some, something was wrong with the marketing? Or do you go home and it kind of wounds you a little bit because you're like, why the hell didn't that work? Oh, especially with the way that we approach work at Dionysus or even the way that I approach work um, with DJing and, and, and playing violin. Like, I prefer to not um, separate myself personally and professionally like yeah. i am emotionally connected to everything that i do i think that that at least in the industry that i'm in creates better results mm. you know that i am personally invested in something that i want something to personally succeed because i really believe in it yeah and i you know i i completely understand that that's perhaps a luxury of working in a small startup yeah. in something that i really love doing you know if I was working for a government department, it might not be the same. Mm. Um, and so, no, yeah, I do get pretty emotionally connected to things. And, yeah, sometimes um, when things go wrong, I, I, I do take it pretty hard. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too because, you know, sometimes when I give advice, so in my corporate work, so to speak, that people might not know about, so this is in, in marketing direction, um, you know, sometimes I get people who get – upset about particular situations at work and sometimes the answer to that is 
Take the emotion out. Remember, this is work. Yeah. Look at it for the logic that it is. Yes, of course, you're invested in what you're doing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, no one's dying. This is marketing. Yeah, sure. And if an ad goes out with a spelling mistake in it, yes, people will get in trouble yeah. or there might be something, other repercussions of it. But essentially, everything's going to be fine in the long term. Yeah. So take that emotion out. But it's hard because when you've connected yourself personally to the work that you do, especially in your sense, where yeah. it seems the thread of creativity and music is actually very much not only a part of you, but the work that you do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard because the, the emotionality is contained to that work and it's probably yeah. very hard for you to kind of separate those two things yeah. out. Um, I think it's about, I mean, if you get upset because you're emotionally connected to something and it doesn't go well, one of the first things to remember is that it means that you care. And that, that that's probably one of the most strongest and important things. Um, funnily enough, just yesterday, I did put a Facebook event out and it had a typo in it. When <laughs> I find, found out half an hour later, I was absolutely gutted. Yeah. Um, but A, it meant that I care. And B, I'm never going to bloody do that again. <laughs> um, but it made sure, you know, for, I've, I just took it as a learning experience. Yeah. And it meant that I'm going to pass it through as many spell checkers as I can. So... You know, I mean, again, case by case basis. I, I think, mm. um, you know, if I'm if I'm doing if I'm working on something that I don't necessarily agree with, um, you still have to give your hundred percent professional, you know, professional, yeah, of course, um, experience and judgment behind it. But um, yeah, at least in my line of work, getting emotionally involved is is a plus. Is a plus. So, would would you say, as a person, and this is the interesting part of it, um, do you think? You're in your case specifically. You're defined by the work that you do. Um, in other words, you haven't met someone. I've got a new person that's come in here, and it's yeah. Emily or the two dogs. Yeah, and I go, "Hi, this is Michael." And I go, "Michael works in the cultural agency. He's also yeah. a DJ and a musician. Um, has some pocket squares." Yeah. Notice that my definition of you is very much attached to your professional. Yeah. In, you know, endeavors. Sure. Absolutely. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And are you happy with that? I'm absolutely happy with that because um, if I didn't make money from DJing and playing violin, I'd probably still do it. Yeah. And I'd wish that you would still introduce me as such. Yeah. So it's not necessarily about that professional connection, I think. Like it very much is. I'm, again, and I'll, I'll always say that I'm, I'm in a luxurious position where I absolutely love what I do, both at work during the day and generally at nights. But also in my side hustle. So, um, you know, it's probably, it's exactly the same way that I introduce myself. Um, and, uh, and the things that I do at work or the work that I do says a lot about me. Mm. I mean, instantly when you're a musician, it means that you're performative. It means that yeah. you have a creative side. I mean, it, it, it reveals so much about the person. And the things that it reveals um, is generally true. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll just second that too, that obviously I, I, I DJ quite a fair bit still on the weekends yeah. and I do it honestly because I love doing it. Yeah. it, it that's the main driver. Um, what's interesting about it too is if I do a good set by my own standards yeah. and specifically if people respond, they come up, they ask about songs, what have yeah, you. Yeah. I feel so happy about the way that's defining me. But sometimes I have a bad set like anybody else. And if you do the hundreds that you and I do yeah. in a year – there are moments where I'm like, I'm just not getting this right tonight. Yeah, this is terrible. Yeah. And somehow I'm embarrassed that people might judge me for playing that music, which is, of course, silly because yeah. I'm sure people don't. Yeah. But there is this, this you know, self kind of awareness around Absolutely. the work that you do. But it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as you, you want to do a good job. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do something, don't, you know, like we want, you know, we want to do a good job Be because doing it well makes it more enjoyable. Yeah, I think I think that's the crux of it, you know. Um, so, so what's what's next? You know how you talked about self awareness, essentially, right? And now we've kind of made the connection that your profession and who you are yeah. link things. What is next? I mean, you know, it, it, more of the same. Would you be happy doing this for the next fifteen years? Do you see something bigger and grander? Would you like to follow the music dream? What what sits in that space? I think that's really hard. Uh, I've sort of been contemplating that myself. I mean, I'm really happy with where I am now, uh, but I guess that the operative word is now. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as I feel like there is growth in what I'm doing, that I'm learning and I'm adding to my skill set and that I'm not stagnating in what I'm doing, mm -hmm. then I'll be fulfilled. Um, and that as my basic foundation for 
um, professional happiness or whatever yeah. is um, leaves the direction very vague. And that's that's on purpose, I think. Um, you know, if I end up five years, I might end up as a real estate agent. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as I felt like that I'd grown from the person that I was five years ago, then I'd be I'd still be happy with myself. Yeah. But um, so it's, it's so really because I had this kind of question in my mind about and I kind of mentioned it before about, you know, whether you make opportunities and whether you wait for them to happen. Yeah. And it kind of seems to me that you're relatively open to them and yeah. you're quite active in that too. Yeah. But of course, you're not going to stray away from something that you really love at the moment. Yeah. But I get the feeling that should the environment, what have you changed? And I'm not talking about moving from Canberra, but yeah. other opportunities, uh, another day, whatever, you'd yeah. be open to that because you're like, well, like a bit yeah. of column A, a bit of column B. Like you've got to be proactive in the face of stagnation and being idle, but then also reflective, reflexive, and and happy to just potter along when things are going well. Yeah, you know sometimes you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, you know? things are going well, and I'm and I and I'm still tracking to where I want to go. So you know, contentedness, being content with where you are right now. Mm. Who do you look up to? Like, what's your? Is I'm looking there- at him right now. <laughs> You know, I was, I was actually going to make that joke, but then I kind of thought people can't see our face expressions and yeah. they think this guy's really up himself. Um, but in terms of your professional and personal life, yeah. is, there, is there people or, or agencies or anybody that you look up to, you kind of go, they're doing this right. I kind of like that path. I might take some influence from that. I don't know. I guess I don't, I'm not someone that looks at particular people. I think I just look at examples. Yeah, right. You know, so when I when I read journals or I, or I read uh, it's generally, uh, at least right now, you know, the people that are, the people and things that I admire generally has to do with risk taking. You know, it's like it's when you have the conviction to do something at the risk of failure. Yep. You know, not playing it safe, and uh, that that's probably the next step for me. Like now that I feel comfortable and established in my role as a professional communicator, uh, taking bigger risks is sort of the next step that I see um, because. You know the people. You know, generally in a professional way, the people that take risks are the ones that have the experience to back it up. You know, and no one's going to let you take a risk if you're just you know if you're entry level. Uh, so I think that's that's I'm staring down the barrel of that, and I'm keen to take some risks of my, of my own, whether it be with ad campaigns or the way that we um, uh, market events or the way that we design events. And so a lot of it has to do with. Um, I admire and I look up to people that take, uh, that do a lot of out of box thinking that are taking professional risks to try something. And also, you know, I also admire people that if it doesn't work out, just admitting, yeah. hey, didn't work out. Look, I took a risk. I, you know, this is how it would have gone uh, if it worked out, but it didn't. We learned something. Of course. Um, and so, no and that's the scariest thing, you know, yeah. like being able to take that risk because that, you know, when it goes wrong, that's why people don't want to do it. Mm. And and then they retract back to the safe option. So would I be right if I, and I didn't want to do the marketing thing here on you, but would I be right if I summarized it that your kind of motto, maybe an unspoken one yeah. in terms of sentiment for you, where you are currently now is to be braver? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think so. To be braver. Yeah, that's a really good one, actually. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's what I get paid the big bucks. Yeah. And the reason that I say that is, and I'll just reflect on, on, on me, I, I think the principle that I tend to work for is around having a point of distinction. And I don't mean about being different from everybody else, yeah. but rather the, the pursuits that I undertake, that they have something to them that has an element of uniqueness, yeah. uh, that there is a little bit different to, to the norm. Um, one of the very reasons for this podcast starting up is yeah. I haven't found... Uh, a conversation such as this about careers that isn't just about the career, but rather the psychology and the development behind it. Um, and I kind of thought, well, I've got so many people that are interesting around me. Why, yeah. why don't I try it? And of course, you know, Canberra community is nice and tight, despite the fact yeah, it's 100,000. That's why I love it. It's very connected, you know. And I think through that, it'll be very interesting to discover about how people get there. So, um, but anyway, it's it's that kind of element of distinction, you know, and I, and I can quite honestly say that and I use that quite often in, in different things yeah. for you it kind of seems like that bravery yeah, is absolutely. the next step to be braver I mean like you know I'm, I'm, I, 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 would, I would happily say that I'm quite a good marketer mm. but I'm not right now I'm not an innovator you know like I do my job really well but I'm not you know at, at the very least I would 
you know, my professional aspirations are to have some innovations of my own. And a lot of that comes with the risk taking. So, yeah, yeah, I guess that to be braver. Yeah, nice. I should really get that framed for you. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm going to get that tattooed next to my phantom oh, mask. God. Don't, no, don't, because it might change. Uh, Eventually, yeah, but I've got to take a risk. Oh, okay, that's true. Um, yeah, the next thing you know, you'll be on one of those ink shows where they have to like yeah, change exactly. your work yeah, or something yeah. else. Um, one thing that I want to ask, and maybe this is showing my thinking in terms of my life stage and everything else, but do you think there'll be ever a moment where? rather than kind of pursuing all these things and, and, and running towards this, this this kind of line, there'll be a moment where you're kind of going, I'm done, and now I'm just going to kick back. There, there's this, is there an end goal to all of this? I guess that's what my question is. Um, I guess the question is, well, at least like, what is done? You know, is it done because I'm absolutely burnt out and I just, and I, and I need a break or I need a sabbatical? Is it done because I feel idle? Or is it done because I just feel like, I've done all that I can do. Um, I would like to hope that there is no done uh, for me, at least. You know, I'm very much always wanting to be on the go. I could think of nothing worse than just sitting on the front porch in my rocking chair, looking out <laughs> and and shaking my fist at the kids, playing in the, you know, playing playing in the yard. I, I, I don't ever want to be done, and I don't think you know, as long as there's another day to live, um, there is no real done i mean obviously there's points at which i'm happy with the successes that i've achieved um but that if anything right now you know it, with every goal that i kick it just makes me it makes me hungry to mm. kick more so i don't want to be done yeah i want, just want to keep doing so kicking the ball and, and, and doing it bravely um I, I, we, we've got us almost at the end and I, one thing that i thought it might be fun to finish up on is you, at some point, obviously we're talking about how you've been here for over a decade, which makes yep. you a Canberran. Um, I thought this is an interesting point. I, I tend to find that with a lot of Canberrans and I guess through my work and all the contacts and all the things that, that you and I kind of double in as well, you get a sense of what Canberra is and isn't proud about. Right. Yeah. And I kind of get the feeling that um, Canberra has gone through an amazing bit of change in the last 10 years, yeah. specifically in the last five. Right? You can just feel it. There's this energy and it's really exciting, which is which is just great. Um, and, and a lot of Canberrans have this slight love-hate thing going on. You yeah. know? And people complain about the cold, you happen to love it, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But um, in terms of Canberra, obviously it's been a place of opportunity for you and, and, and all the rest of it. And I think you feel quite at home here and Absolutely. quite tied to it. Um, where do you see this place going in the next 10 years i don't you know i mean so much in terms of the infrastructure even politics or anything but from a cultural perspective and what you work in what do you think is going to happen as as, as we have a bigger population i think yeah. we're set obviously to grow in the 10 years quite substantially um what do you think that will bring with it in terms of the cultural scene of, of this place i mean i think at any point in time that i've been here in Canberra, the cultural scene is always batted well above its average mm-hmm. you know, there's always more things on for the amount of people that are here um but i think as we grow what's changing is that we're getting better at selling it and that that it's also but that we're also attracting people from outside in yeah um the canberra the perception of canberra is changing and for the people that are here or do you mean externally both yeah uh, I think it's it's becoming cooler and cooler to be proud of Canberra, um, which is great. Hence your T-shirt. Hence my t- straight T-shirt. Out of, straight out of Canberra. Um, and I love nothing more than wearing my Skywell pin, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or you know, or buying a, a Canberra region wine. And this it actually comes back a lot to um, placemaking because it's about creating a meaningful connection between people and places, uh, and that just boils down to a sense of belonging. You know, like when you might not think that the city is perfect, but if you feel like you belong, um, then that's what connects you to where you're living. And I definitely feel that with Canberra. Um, I think as we grow, we're just getting better at marketing Canberra and it's it's cooler and it's getting easier to be proud of Canberra. Mm. And that is going to have a, an, you know, an uncountable amount of positive flow on effects. Yeah. For, for generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And you're right, I guess, it, you know, where I was also thinking too, that a lot of cultural events, uh, even if they're not your bag, 
end up gluing people together. Um, and you know, I don't want to overuse the word community because that's kind of a bit given, but it, it does create a specific kind of social glue to a place. You yeah. know, even in, in the understanding that we've got a variety of different things to go to and experience, and we're actually quite yeah. rich in that respect. Um, which, which is, I think, where, where the benefit lies in, in this place growing and all the yeah. rest of it. I mean, I, I would almost say that a community is strongest not when you all like the same thing, but more when you respect each other's differences. That's really nicely put. Yeah. yeah. And if there's any place that can do it, I'm, I'm Canberra. Yeah. Definitely could with Bloody this progressive approach. Hashtag, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. Bro. Well, Michael, I'd like to thank you. Um, it's been a great chat and it's been great to have you as, as my first guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to do this again in five years. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I, super brave. Yeah, well, you know, if people keep on listening, we just might have another one of these. Absolutely. <laughs> So, no, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. If you want to do a quick plug, if people want to get to know you across or get in touch or across social, what have you, what should they uh, What should they type in somewhere? Uh, for my music stuff, there's facebook.com slash Mr. Michael Music. Uh, otherwise, you can probably just uh, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Michael Liu. And, yeah, look, a quick Google search will pick me up. I'm always happy to have a conversation, especially if it's about camera yeah. or something creative, you know, some interesting creative pursuit that you have. I'm always here. Beautiful. Thanks so much. Till next time. Awesome. Cheers.